Welcome to the Christy Taylor Show. I'm your host, Christy Taylor, and I am super excited about Black History Month and having a chance to talk about film once again. All the way from Toronto, Canada, Richard Pierre is an award-winning writer, director, and producer known for tackling a range of genres and subject matters. Pierre, a mixed-race Black filmmaker, places his focus on race-based projects. Richard's latest short, An Uninvited Guest, screened at the Toronto Black Film Festival, shot beautifully by Gail Ye, is now streaming on CBC Gem. Lastly, he is the founder of Afroflix that cultivates thought-provoking, high-quality content across multiple platforms. Whether working in fiction or nonfiction, Afroflix is dedicated to tackling contemporary social issues and amplifying underrepresented voices while crafting unforgettable content that entertains and challenges audiences. So, Richard Pierre. Hi, Richard. <laughs> How's it going? Um, very well, very well. First of all, uh, Richard, so how's Toronto? What's going on? Uh, it's uh, Toronto's pretty nice. It's uh, warm for the time being, so that should last for maybe 24 hours or less. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a good day. Been doing some writing, so can't complain. All right, awesome. Now in Memphis, I will say we had our snow week and now we're back up to our 60s and 70s. So I don't know if we'll revert back to winter, but I think we're gonna be headstrong into spring in just a few weeks. But, you know, Richard, I am so grateful that here in this Black History Month that we have a chance to talk about something I love, which is film. And to be able to talk about it with someone who loves to talk about these type of race-based subjects is, you know, really important to me. So first, Richard, we read your bio, but what are some things about you that we possibly didn't cover that might be interesting for our audience. Um, let me think. Um, I was born in Oakland, so I'm actually an American who uh, <laughs> came up to Canada when I was about nine. Uh, so I am an actu actually am an American. I, I even vote in the elections. So okay. uh, yeah, I mean, there's that. What else is there? I don't know. Uh, How did Oakland yeah. influence your film career? Or should, let's 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 take it one step back. What inspired you as a child to even get into this path of entertainment and filmmaking? Wow, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> it's interesting. So I'm a California person. Uh, I was born in Oakland, uh, raised more or less in San Diego for a big chunk of my childhood until we came up here. Um, but yeah, there wasn't really, in my childhood, there wasn't really an, any sort of... Uh, inclining that I would be going into film. Uh, my mom's a photographer, um, so definitely my interest in cameras started, I think, somewhere in my teen years. Uh, I wrote short stories when I was like a little kid, and I think uh, sort of at the end of high school, both of those ideas sort of came together, and I was like torn between potentially going into a film program and then maybe just going into business. Um, so yeah, it, uh, it wasn't a natural progression. I didn't have any examples around me to say, you can work in film. I knew no one. I still have a, a relatively small network, all things considered. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's tough to get into the film business if you aren't already have someone in your, I guess, vicinity in the film business. Now that is so true. Now I will say Memphis being off the beaten path of Hollywood, <laughs> one thing this city is known for is its music. However, it's a it's a creative hotbed for all things creative. Everything from art to fashion to filmmaking. 
But I say it's all based in storytelling. Uh, the South, the Delta is known for great stories. And I think that when we come to the filmmaking side, we're just pretty much trying to tell the stories we told in a song or we're telling through fashion. We're trying to tell it through other mediums as well. So when you talked about photography and your mom, you know, did you pick up a camera in your teens and go that route? Because you have a great eye. I've looked at some of your work and I'm like, your eye is amazing. Oh, thank you. Uh, so yeah, I mean, my mom, I, I don't know when she started her interest in photography. Like she's a creative person for sure. Um, she used to like make songs for us when we were kids. Um, but yeah, I think she gave us our first cameras when we were probably like, I don't know, six, six or seven. So we had like these little 110 film cameras that we took horrible pictures with. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, eventually she gave me one of her professional like SLR cameras, I think maybe in my teens. So I started to, I guess, take photography a lot more seriously. Um, and yeah, when I went to film school, I did it thinking I was gonna be a cinematographer, not that I was going to direct. Like I, I've always been writing, so I thought I would probably be like a screenwriter cinematographer. Yeah. And I guess the reason I got into the directing side was basically, I worked with a lot of white filmmakers and they were making stories that I found less than compelling at times. And also like in terms of the casting, I wasn't really, I wasn't really seeing people that looked non-white. So I was like, yeah, maybe I need to sort of do something I don't necessarily want to do, but something that I can create some change in the industry. Now, now, Richard, I want to bring this point out because I said prior to our starting this interview that we can get as nerdy about film as we want to. So for those who may not even understand, I will introduce this phrase, above the line. Above the line, you have your director, your producer, and your screenwriter. And below the line, that's when you get more into the crew. The part that most people don't understand is that the director-producer really sets the tone or we can say that the mission of a film, even though as a produced screenwriter, I was heartbroken to learn that even though I'm above the line, I'm still the lowest one on the totem pole um, if I'm not a producer or director. So can we talk about just very nerdy, the hierarchy of filmmaking and how as a cinematographer, who most people feel like if you're shooting the film, you have a lot of control. And if you're writing the film, you have a lot of control. Uh, let's kind of dig into that and what your personal experiences have been. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think certainly like writing is, is its own thing and you certainly do have a level of control over what happens on screen, but ultimately it, it ends up being, a lot of the time it's like the director or the producer who makes creative choices. Like you could have a black character in a movie turn white very quickly just because the director's mm -hmm. like, well, this person instead. And all of a sudden you have potentially a different film. Um, maybe not in the director or producer's eyes, but certainly in the writer's eyes, potentially. Um, so yeah, it's important that people at the top are representing the people on screen. So like a producer, like a black producer, I think is probably going to potentially bring more black talent to a project. You know, it, it obviously depends on what their mandate is as a human being. Uh, certainly for me, though, it, it is like I even as a director, I would always have a say in like who the cast is and I would try to have a say in who the crew was. Um, 
obviously you can't micromanage every little tidbit, but when you're making short films, you can. So I try to be as you know diverse in my hiring practices as possible. Um, yeah, it can be a challenge also just finding those crew members that represent the rainbow you're looking for. Uh, right. Even finding the cast members, like you know, you want at the end of the day, you want the best talent for your film, and you just it's sometimes a a hard game to find all the pieces that maybe fit your vision. And sometimes it means delaying the project in order to find those pieces. I've done that a million times. Like I'm just like yeah. until I find the people I want to work with, I'm gonna I'm gonna wait because. Yeah. I want us on screen as much as possible and behind the scenes. Now, one thing that I want to, for those who are like, what are they talking about? <laughs> Watch movies. And they're talking about the whole, uh, before they even shoot a movie. Okay. Directors tend to be responsible in the hierarchy for the creative side, which are like the actors, things of that nature, where the producer Tends to be, as he mentioned, if he's directing, he tries to make sure he has an input on the producer's impact on who the crew is. So um, just think of it like mom and dad. <laughs> you know, a director producer are, are the, the are the couple and the screenwriter has provided them something to work from, a blueprint, so to speak. So when you get into the casting, that tends to be a director's call. And when you get into the producing, it tends to be responsibility falls on them to select who the crew is. Now, why is this important in Black History Month? As we now have the phrase that representation matters. Can you break it down for them, Richard, what that means just in a business with director, producer, selecting cast and crew? Black History Moment, representation matters. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess for me, the the term representation matters is is about you know uh, the people behind the scenes that orchestrate everything uh, have an an impact on what viewers see, and it's it's sometimes a little intangible. Uh, it's not to say that a white director can't direct a black film, and I know there's tons of controversy which we can talk about about that subject in and of itself. Yeah. Um, but it. it it's that a black filmmaker is potentially going to bring just a lot more authenticity to that story and maybe be able to tell a more well-rounded story as a result of that. So yeah. that's why representation matters. And it also matters in the sense that how these stories end up on screen shapes how a viewer sees the world. So uh, I usually go for a very simple uh, example. You know, if you see black men as drug dealers, as a human being, regardless of your race, you're going to perceive black men as threatening more often than not. It's just like, it works inside your brain, even if you try to fight it. Um, if you're really awake to it, then yeah, maybe you can fight it off. But like that imagery is not, is it's not helpful. It's destructive. So whoever is orchestrating these events, you know, it, it, they need to be uh, someone who has some insight into that effect, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It makes all the sense because we do know that conditioning starts even as children and that as human beings uh, in human evolution, that a child mimics what they see. And that is even, even as we age, we're still mimicking what we see. 
you know, we pick up our belief systems, our values based on the images. That's the power of advertising. <laughs> we buy things because somebody tells us to, you know, they put it enough times in between our favorite shows. And next thing you know, we have changed from tie to gain, you know, or we now want to go from the Honda to the uh, Rolls Royce. You know, it's we're constantly being pushed by audible and visual stimuli. And that's the power of the media. And that is the power of movie making. Um, now, as I said, we're we're in the Black History Month segueing into uh, Women's Month. And we're talking about representation matters. And I know that you, uh, because you are seeking diversity in front and behind the camera, how important is it for you as a award-winning filmmaker, writer, and director to also uh, be sure that the female voice is heard? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and it's I think it's one uh, a lot of filmmakers I would hope struggle with. Uh, for me, like a lot of the times when I've been writing, I guess I'll, I'll backpedal a little bit. When I started writing screenplays, I think initially I always went with a male protagonist because I'm a guy, so I therefore I know those stories well, right? I mean, just on a very simple level. But as I gradually, you know, really thought about sort of films and filmmaking, I was like, so why, why is it that every, you know, film we see is always a male protagonist? And I think over the years, this has changed a fair bit and it, it's less so now, but it's still, you know, that's the sort of go-to. So much like seeing, you know, uh, black leading characters, uh, I want to see more female voices or faces on screen leading projects. So a lot of the scripts I write, I tend to just err on working with a female protagonist. And it's just it's sort of my default now. Um, because again, it's just it's about seeing more uh, diversity on screen. And generally speaking, when I write my characters, it's a it's a female woman of color of some sort. Um, because, you know, again, we don't necessarily need more white faces on screen. We've seen, a hundred years or so of them. So yes. <laughs> if we did a hundred years, yeah. years the other way, we might strike a balance. <laughs> um, but then in terms of like behind the scenes, so my latest short film, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit, yeah. um, I did this unconscious thing where I ended up with a pretty much all female crew, which I thought was amazing. Um, it was one of those like moments where I'm, I'm not sure when it happened exactly that I went from you know, zero to all uh, women, uh, not wow. all, but very close to that. I think yeah. it's 70% or 80%. And it was completely unconscious. I just started like asking people for who would they recommend for this job, that job. And I just eventually ended up with all female or close to all female women of color. And I was just like, that's wow. spectacular. Uh, I should do this all the time. Now, Richard, I, okay, we can actually segue into your short in just a second, but I kind of want to talk about what I will call the Ava Duva effect. And it's not, you know, the very fact that behind the camera, because for those who don't understand that there are more people below the line making money oftentimes than there are characters in a movie. So you're employing sometime if you're doing a very high level short or feature, approximately how many people? Um, You know, I think this crew was probably small in terms of film terms. Uh, I'm trying to even think, maybe like 30 or so people. I think that's fairly small, but like, yeah, crews can get up to like hundreds of people if it's like, you know, Sony's blockbuster. Um, yeah. Certainly anywhere from, I would say 40 to 100 would be fairly normal. Mm -hmm. 
Now, this is important for those who are considering filmmaking as a profession, is that there are so many jobs that are not what you see. It's not always the actor. It's not always just the producer, the director, the screenwriter. It is anywhere between, you said, 30 to 100 people who you can employ um, in the craft of filmmaking. And to say that you had almost an entirely female crew, a woman's led crew, that is amazing. And the Ava Do effect is highlighting those people who are proficient. So then when you get a referral, you're like, oh, Christy Taylor would be perfect as a script consultant. Plug, 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 a shameless plug there. But to be able to work so that your work can be represented, so that you can get a referral is so important. And you spoke to it a hundred years in one direction, we might get a balance by getting maybe even 50 to 100 years of inclusivity. Um, yeah, that's powerful. Okay, so let's get to uh, your storytelling. I really wanna dig into the fact, because I, I had a chance. Okay, you all have a chance, be sure. And I'm gonna make sure right now I put across here the um, all this great information that he has. But let me tell you, he has some amazing work cinematically speaking. So to know that you started as a photographer who went into cinematography, who went into storytelling, who now is a director producer, I get the journey because I was like, this is amazing because I love, I love it. But go to his website, Afroflix, and check out a lot of the great work there. But when it comes to the storytelling piece, I noted that you have a very um, surreal I want to say surreal and cerebral approach to storytelling. Uh, where do you get? Where is that based in? Just your personality, your temperament, or what feeds that beast? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a great question. I think I've always liked sci-fi stuff. I've always uh, enjoyed uh, reading science fiction, watching science fiction. Uh, I've enjoyed shows like The Twilight Zone that sort of mess with your head and your perception. So yeah, I mean, I think that's. That's where that all comes from. Um, it's not, it's, it's something I have to work hard at, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's something I enjoy. Even the um, Super Bowl Doritos commercial. Oh yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about that. What was the premise of that and how did, how did you even get that opportunity? Well, yeah, I mean, that was actually something that uh, I co-directed. Uh, someone else wrote the, the concept, but I, I believe we may have like worked together on coming up with the concept. I don't remember. I'm not going to give myself credit because I don't actually recall. <laughs> but yeah, it was just like, it was like a fun idea that uh, we're like, hey, can we shoot this? And we're like, yeah, we can shoot this. It looks really hard and it's going to require a lot of resources. Let's do it. Yeah, but yeah sometimes that's just heard of how those projects come together. You're just like, let's do something really difficult. Okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, your first writing project. What was that and how has your storytelling changed? I guess I'd say my first writing project was a, uh, a feature-length screenplay called Crooked, which was basically a coming-of-age film uh, loosely based on my childhood. Um, and yeah, I managed to win, uh, got to like a quarter finalist of the Nichols Fellowship, which is like uh, the screenwriting competition run by the people wow. that do the Oscars. So yes, 
It's pretty good for a first shot. Since yeah, then, I haven't done anything. Good. That was pretty good, Richard, <laughs> out the gate. Yeah. And how has his storytelling changed over the years? I think now I'm really trying to use genre as sort of my uh, storytelling vehicle. So like thrillers, uh, horror, sci-fi to tell these stories about race as opposed to tackling them, we'll say, straight on. So, I mean, that's what happens in an unembodied guest. It's like, it's a dinner party in the Twilight Zone, basically. Um, so I'm trying to do more things like that and, and see if I can make something that's entertaining and thought-provoking at the same time. Okay, let's talk about the storyline and the premise of Uninvited, an uninvited guest. Sure. Um, I guess the best way to describe it is it's basically about uh, a dinner where guests seem to have no reaction to a black man being assaulted right outside their window. Uh, however, one of the guests does respond and take action, we'll say. I can't really give up too much because it's no, a three-minute film, and uh, if I say any more, you won't need to watch it. Oh, okay. And speaking of that, it recently screened at the Toronto Black Film Festival, an uninvited guest. And what was the response? Uh, well, the, the thing with the online film festivals, which is weird, is that you don't get to get as much of that response factor. Uh, I can say that other festivals, it's done well. It's gotten some good press and people have said positive things about it that uh, my nightmare did come across. But yeah. The virtual film festival thing is still a little weird where you can't sit <laughs> in an audience and like gauge people's feedback. You just have right. to cross your fingers and hope someone says something to you in a DM on uh, Instagram saying, wow. I love it. Now you um, have recently had distribution with CBC Gym. Now is that a Toronto based network? So yeah, CBC is the national broadcaster in Canada. So the film screened uh, on TV all throughout Canada uh, and is now available online, unfortunately only in Canada oh, wow. uh, via the CBC. So I'm still working on uh, some more festival screenings for the film and still working on trying to find uh, a US distributor so everyone can watch it. You know something, I'm gonna see if we can get you a Memphis uh Memphis-based film festival so that we can see it. And um, we'll chit-chat also about some distribution opportunities you might find interesting. Uh, we're going to be right back after this. We're back with an award-winning writer, producer, director from Toronto, Richard Pierre. His most recent short film, An Uninvited Guest. I'm gonna put that screen back up there because I wanna talk about this other film as well that I checked out. An Uninvited Guest was screening at the Toronto Black Film Festival. Now it has a Canadian distribution at CBC Gym. And he had another project that I found very interesting on his website, a multi-platform website, Afroflix. What are you now? I know that you really are into race-based, as you say, genre-based um, subject matters that have to do with race. Uh, what exactly was that film about? 
because I watched the trailer, very, very interesting. So What Are You is a short documentary about being mixed. Uh, and I like to say, since I'm a mixed race person, it was the most easy subject for me to possibly make a documentary on. Of course, when you're making movies, nothing is quite as simple as it seems at the start. But uh, yeah, it's a 20 minute uh, documentary that is Again, available in Canada, no problem. Uh, in the US, it's a little bit more uh, dodgy, but uh, you can definitely check out some links and uh, see if you can track it down. <laughs> see if you can track it down. Well, as I said, that there are two amazing um, internationally based film festivals here in Memphis that I'm gonna see if we can get you connected because I love the um, look of your work. And I think that just from this conversation alone that there are some great collaboration opportunities that we can have between Toronto and Memphis. So have you ever been, being that you are, you know, American, U.S. born, Oakland, uh, <laughs> have you ever been to the Deep South? I have. I've been to Georgia, uh, but sadly, I've not been to Memphis. So my life is meaningless, but uh, I'll have to do <laughs> something about that when the pandemic wraps up, which will hopefully be relatively soon. Yes. Well, I will say this. Is there a Memphis song that you're familiar with? Are you familiar with any Memphis artists? Please say you at least know one Memphis artist that we can brag. I'm, I mean, I'm sure I could think of, you know, some song Memphis related, but uh, I'm going to I'm gonna have to skip that question because I'll, I'll okay. probably say something well, dumb. Okay, well, I'm going to throw you uh, a couple of names. B.B. King, Al Green, Isaac Hayes, uh, Three Six Miles. Isaac Hayes? I didn't know Isaac. Wow, I should have known that. Wow. Yeah, of course, the whole stacks. Um, Isaac Hayes and David Porter, Soul Man, the song, mm -hmm. uh, Three Six Mafia, of course, Hustle and Flow, Al Capone. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a long, that's a long list. That's a, you know, Al Green, the Bar Cave, and the reason I'm throwing them out is because a lot of them had um, in influence on the the film community. As a matter of fact, literally the Bar Cave, the lead singer Larry Dotson. I got to give a shout out to him. They are celebrating the Watt Stacks documentary. And I just found out, going back to things we do not know, um, how influenced the the Memphis scene was to even celebrating Watts after that riot, seven years with that documentary. So it's interesting how the infusion of music and filmmaking has that even brings us going back to Toronto, Memphis. Um, and hopefully, yeah, we can have some influence on, on what you're doing. Uh, how important is music to your uh, cinematic expressions? I mean, that's huge. I mean, if you look at an, un an uninvited guest has no dialogue whatsoever. So, I mean, the music kind of drives that film. Uh, and I'm definitely, you know, I'm always looking for collabor collaborators on the music side. Yeah. I mean, great music is so influential. Like, even like when I'm, when I'm writing, I need music on all the time. I need to, wow. it just keeps me inspired. Um, and yeah, I mean... Like I love movie scores. Uh, I love all types of music, but yeah, I mean, where would we be without music? Music is a Nowhere. necessary ingredient like said, in film. Life would be meaningless without it. Would, it would definitely be meaningless and empty. <laughs> all right, Richard Pierre, thank you so much. This has been lovely. Um, any last things that we need to make sure we are supporting you on? Because as I say, I want you all to check out his website, afroflix.ca which is for the Canada, appleflix.ca. You can check it out, scrolling across the bottom. Also his social media, anything Richard though, you want us to make sure that we support you on for 2021. 
You know, 2021 is going to be an interesting year of me doing not a whole lot, I think. But uh, definitely, if uh, if you want to reach out, drop me a line, a DM. I will probably reply because I've got lots of time on my hands right now. So do it up, and uh, I'll let you know when there's something to support for sure. Well, we appreciate you so very much, and we thank you for being here on the Christy Taylor Show. Thanks for having me. Invite you all to support the show and also find out more about Richard Pierre.